0: We are continuing this morning in our study in the Gospel of Matthew that we're calling Follow Me. Today we are in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, and we're going to be looking at uh, treasure, the idea of treasure. And what do we treasure? What is our focus? What is our priority? You know, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been asking his followers to reevaluate their priorities, to reevaluate what they value, what they focus on. He's asked some big questions about focus Um, questions like you know who do we consider blessed when we go through the beatitudes that's really the question that he's posing is is who do we consider blessed Uh, because almost everything that he presents is counter to what our culture uh, considers to be what it means to be blessed you know what is our purpose here what's our purpose on earth what's the reason that we're here are we here to be salt and light as he um, intends us to be what is true righteousness he asks, what is true? Evaluate, what, what does it look like to truly be righteous? Uh, to consider, Do we consider the state of our hearts or only attempt to control our actions? You know, do we actually look to our anger and our lust or do we only try to control whether or not we exercise those things? Do we value marriage? He gets into marriage and asks us to value marriage. Do we intend to keep our word? Is it something that we have to really tell people we're going to and swear and, and do all those things to get people to believe us or are we people of our word? Um, are we gracious and merciful the way we want others to be with us? Um, is that something that, that um, it is part of who we are? Can we love our enemies? We looked at a couple weeks ago. Is that something that it we're... Is it possible for us to take that higher level of loving our enemies? Um, And then what is the motivation behind our good deeds and religious practices? It's something that we looked at last week. Jesus asking, what is the reason that you're doing the things that you're doing that are supposedly in the name of God and for God? Are they actually for God or are they performative? Are you doing them for other people in order to be seen by them, in order to be seen as a good person? Um, So he's constantly making us reevaluate these things. And today, he's going to really narrow in on our focus and ask us to to look at what is the top priority in our life. What's the top, top priority? What's our heart set on? Um, What is the deep motivation that we all have? Because we all have one. We all have something that takes that top spot in our life. Um, And if we think about focus, if we think about this idea of, you know, what do we prioritize? What do we focus on? Um, it really makes me think of of sports because so much of coaching—I've both uh, been coached and and been a coach uh, of uh, different sports teams—and and so many, so much in sports is about focus and and what what we're even just looking at. What are our eyes focused on? You know, in running, they tell you to, to focus on one spot in the distance and run toward that and keep your eyes on that. If you look around and if you're looking all over the place, then you're gonna. Your running's not going to be as efficient because you're going to weave around um, and you're not going to use all of your energy heading in the same direction. Um, Baseball, when they're batting, what's the number one thing every coach says? Keep your eye on the ball. We even have, that's a a saying in our world because of that reason, because that's the number one most important thing when it comes to batting is are you watching that ball come in all the way until it hits your bat? Um, Football, they tell you, keep your eyes up, focus on what you're, um, hitting. If you're blocking or something like that, you focus on that. If you're going to catch the ball, watch it all the way into your hands. Because if you if you, if you you start to to look away and start to run downfield before you have possession of that ball, you're going to fumble it or you're going to not make the catch. Um, so much has to do with focus. Basketball, I don't know, but probably, right? I never really listened to basketball. Um, and even something as simple as stretching, right? When you're even just stretching, warming up with sports, and you try to do that the thing where you, you stand on one leg and you, you grab your leg to stretch your, your quad there. Everyone always kind of fumbles around. And what they tell you is, look at one point on the ground that's about as far out as you are high, as you are tall. And if you do that, all of a sudden, you can stand. You can balance on one leg like that. Um, it, give it a shot right now. You're, you're at home. Just get, give it a try. Go ahead and stand up and try that out. If you can focus on one point like that, you can stand on uh, stand on one leg in that way. Um, So we know that focus is important just in in our lives in general. These are are truths that we know. Um, So Jesus is going to ask, what's the focal point of your life, right? There are individual tasks and and activities that we know, hey, it's important that we focus. But what Jesus is going to ask is, what is the focal point of our life? What are the things that we focus? What is the thing that we focus on? What's our top priority? We'll get into it here. We'll look first at verses 19 through 21 of chapter 6. He's going to talk about where our heart is. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay. So he starts to talk to us about earthly treasures. And deep down we all know that, that earthly treasures, material possessions, we know that those don't last. And yet we're regularly fooled into thinking that they do. It's something that that we constantly get tricked into thinking, well this thing is gonna last. This this thing is going to stay good, is going to make me happy is going to hold value. Um, but Jesus gives us three examples, three ways that earthly treasures erode over time, um, or even instantly. Uh, and the first is moths, right? He talks about moths, and and this is because in Jesus' day, fine clothing was one of the primary uh, places where people put their wealth. If they came into some money, they might buy some fine clothes, some fancy clothes, some really nice clothes, because most people only had really two changes of clothes. They had whatever they were wearing, and they had maybe one other um, outfit that they would wear. And these would be just practical, um, you know, useful materials that would uh, hold up, but that wouldn't, they wouldn't look especially nice. Um, and, and so that's just how most people existed. So if you came into some money, a, a nice clothes were a luxury item that you might um, buy, that you might invest your money in. Uh, but when they were stored away, because you wouldn't wear these on a regular basis, you would save them for special occasions. Um, and so when these clothes were stored away, it would be very likely that moths would get at them and eat holes into them. So this was a really, uh, a real reality. I and mean, it's true for us today too. I mean, people store coats and things like that. They put mothballs um, in them. That We still do that to this day because this is still an issue that we can have. Um, he also gives this example of rust. Now, the Greek word that's translated here as rust um, has a really a more expansive meaning than what we think of. When we think of rust, we only think of metal, and we think of the way that metal starts to look like this. Um, but in in the Greek, it literally means eating away, um, and it can it can mean all kinds of deterioration. And in Jesus's day, a lot of times if people had some extra money, another thing they would do is uh, invest in their their food stores, literally store up on food by big silos of grain and things like that and store those up. But oftentimes they would be eaten away by vermin. There would literally be an eating away of those food stores and they would either be spoiled or literally just eaten um, and and it would break down and, and become no good. So for our purposes, when we think of both of these things, when we think of moths and rust, they symbol the way that things just naturally go bad or wear out. Right? There are so many things and ways that people... Um, that things can just break down over time, and we know this is true. Um, we know this. I, I know this is true. And, and back in 2005, I, I bought a truck, and it's been slowly uh, deteriorating ever since. Um, there's many things on it now that are broken, and since I'm not very um, handy, a lot of it just stays that way. So one of the very first things I went about is the the emergency brake pull. It had a little plastic pull on it, and that just one day just came off in my hand. Um, and now I have to like pull the little uh, thing that 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 it was attached to. It's not really the way it was designed to be. Um, the center console is is falling apart. Um, the tailgate doesn't work. If you ever tried to to use my truck, or uh, I'll, I'll warn you about using the tailgate because you have to go through a whole series of maneuvers to close it because it's it's broken. It doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. Uh, just recently, uh, one of the, the springs on my on my door hinge. Uh, that fell off and, and broke off, and I don't know where it went. And so um, it doesn't stay open anymore. If you're on a downhill, it just comes right back at you. It won't really be propped open anymore. Uh, the roof lining is starting to, to peel off. And so it just breaks down. But at some point, it was brand new, and everything worked great. But this is just the way that, that things go, right? The question with so many possessions isn't, will this break or wear out? But how will it break or wear out? Because everything will, and I, and I think of that sometimes when we see you see some products, you kind of start to think, look, okay, well, but what is going to go wrong eventually? Because we know this isn't going to stay good forever. So, in what way is it going to break down? Cell phones are, are a great example of, of how easily we're fooled by new possessions, right? You have your old phone, um, and it it's not working great anymore, and it's slowing down, and it won't hold the battery won't hold a charge and you're just ready to smash this thing. You think this is a piece of junk and you're always you know talking bad about it. And then you get a new one and you think, well, this is great. It works awesome. It's got new features. It's super fast. It's, it's awesome. This is going to be great. I love this thing. Um, but you know that in two or three years, maybe four years, five years at the most, you're going to feel the same way you felt about the previous phone. You're going to feel like this thing is a piece of junk. You're going to be saying the same things and it's just a few years that separate those things because things just don't last. Um, the last, and then uh, and then the the third example that Jesus gives is thieves. Right? I mean, we know this. We live in a world of thieves, and especially in in our day with social media, so many people can report um, the, these little break-ins that they have, little thefts that they have that aren't huge. It's not like a you know a fortune was stolen, but uh, maybe a, a piece of um, uh, of construction equipment or something, you know, that was, that uh, has some value, but it's not so much value that, you know, the police aren't going to put a ton of work into catching who this, this thief was. Um, and, and we see that now through, through uh, apps like Nextdoor and things like that. Our neighbors can report and we find out just how much that happens. It's, it's a lot. Um, and, and, and that's just a reality. And that's been the case throughout history in Jesus's day and, um, Thieves would literally break in, in that they would literally dig through the walls um, of these earthen homes that people made. They would make their homes out of clay and dirt and things like that. Um, and they would literally dig through the wall uh, to steal things. And and so that was literally the way that thieves broke in. Um, and we know anything that we own can be stolen. Anything that we own um, can be stolen at any time, because it could even be stolen uh, you know, by assault, someone literally robbing your person through through threat. Um, anything that we have can be stolen, and there are new ways of losing things every day. Right? There are new uh, new ways that people have found to to lose things. There's a, a famous example right now that's happening to a lot of people is uh, Bitcoin. Right? We know that Bitcoin only only exists um, as code. Right? So it's only a it's a digital currency. It's literally a piece of code and you have to have the code. You have to have the password, whatever. I don't know exactly how it works, but you have to have a series of numbers um, in order to own it. That's how you own it. You have access to that code. Um, And and what's happening right now because it's gained a lot of value is a lot of people are realizing, oh, I bought it way back when it was not worth as much and now it's worth so much money. There's one man um, who... Uh, one man, a British man, who was petitioning his local government to be allowed to excavate um, the, the his local city dump because he uh, he threw out a hard drive a couple years ago um, that had some Bitcoin code on it. And once once it started to gain value and become super valuable, um, he realized this mistake that he had made, that he had thrown out this hard drive that had the Bitcoin on it. And when he had thrown it out, it wasn't worth that much, so it wasn't something he was paying a lot of attention to. But now, because of, of how much it's appreciated in value, um, the, the code that he threw out, the, the, the amount of Bitcoin that he threw out, is now worth 275 million dollars um, that he inadvertently threw out. So we know that things on this earth just don't last, they're easily lost, uh, they can wear out, they can be stolen. Um, They do not last. Jesus presents the alternative of heavenly treasures. Now, what do you think of when you hear the term heavenly treasures? Or when he says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, but rather store for yourselves treasures in heaven. What do you think of? I think most of us, including myself, for most of my life, (coughs) thought of rewards that we'll get someday in heaven. Things that are coming in the future, that we might get um, when we die. when we die and we go to heaven, we go to be with Jesus. We'll be rewarded for the good deeds that we did, for the life that we led. Um, that's typically, I think, what most of us think of. But and that's certainly true. But it's lamentably uh, reductive. It's not. It's not the full picture of what Jesus means here. Because, uh, and we do this all the time with all, so many things, right? For we we kind of do this in the same way that we do with salvation. When we think of our salvation, we think about the fact that Jesus has forgiven us, that he's made us new, that he's given us his righteousness. We think primarily of the, the advantage of eternal life, right? We think, well, someday that means I'll get to be with Jesus in a perfect place. He'll make all things new. He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more pain or suffering and no more evil in the world. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's certainly true. But there's also the, 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 uh, the advantage of abundant life that he offers us here and now. That there are benefits to our salvation, to our life in Christ here and now that we don't take advantage of. And the same is true for these heavenly treasures. When he talks about earthly treasures or heavenly treasures, he's talking about the things that God values. He's talking about do things that are worth more, that are worth what they're worth in the heavenly realm not on the earth, not just on the earthly realm. And so he's calling us to to treasure the things that God treasures. And heavenly treasures have real benefits to us here and now, right? Heavenly treasures include things like uh, relationships, acts of love, service, um, the mission of God, being on mission with Him, and carrying out His mission, sharing the gospel uh, with the world. Um, discipleship, growing in Christ, becoming more like Jesus, Um, just time well spent, right? These are all examples of heavenly treasures. They're not just so that we might have rewards when we die. They're how we have a good life here and now. These are things that are worth valuing for their own sake here and now that are better than living for earthly treasures, for wealth, for material possessions, that has never been worth living for. And it's not just, oh, well, have a bad life now so that you have not have a good life when you die. It's, no, this is how you have a good life now and how you have a good life when you die. Um, these don't just provide us with rewards in heaven, but real benefits here on earth. That's so important for us to keep in mind as we consider heavenly treasures and how what do we value. Uh, because it's not just, hey, you know wait till later it's it's in it, this is how you have a good life and abundant life here and now so the question we have to ask ourselves is where is your treasure where is my treasure what do i value um, and jesus says that your where your treasure is there your heart will be also so if we can figure out where our treasure is then we'll know what our heart is set on right? we'll know what our heart is set on by determining what do we treasure. But this can also work the other way, right? We can also uh, reverse engineer that and search our hearts to find out what do we treasure. Some key questions we can ask when we consider what do we treasure, when we consider what is it that we're about putting value on, there's a couple of questions we can ask ourselves um, that will help us determine that. One might be, what's most likely to make you angry? What are the things that really get you riled up? What are the things that really bother you, that really get, your, get you going? Because that's probably a good indicator of what you care about, right? What you put value on, right? If someone messes with something that's yours and you get really angry about it, what is it that that really bothers you? Also, what are you most likely to defend? What are What are the things that you would say, well, this is what I really value. This is what I want to defend. Um, that you're going to stick up for, maybe that's in an argument or something like that, or uh, even even just physically. What are you most likely to protect? What what do you have? Maybe you have you know uh, security systems and things like that in place. You have locks in, in different locations. What are the things that you're locking up? What are the things that you're you have you know your security system uh, around? Um, you know, what are the things that you're really protecting? Um, and then the biggest one is, is where do you spend your time and money? Or where do you spend your time and money, most of your, your time and money? Obviously, you're going to spend a lot of your time at your job, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. But, but aside from that, what are the things that you are spending your time doing? What are the things that you're spending the most money on? That has a good indicator of what is it that you truly value, that you truly treasure. Look here next at verses 22 and 23 calling this clear eyes it says the eye of the lamp is the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, we do have to be clear here that Jesus is not talking about optometry. Right? He's not concerned with actual eye health. Um, he's referring to the health of our eyes to talk about our focus. Right, The eyes are what we focus with. Um, so he's using this as an illustration to talk about what are we looking at? What are we focused on? What do we stare at? What do we keep our eyes set on? Um, and wayward eyes have been a problem since the beginning. Right. Uh, uh, Eve found that the fruit from the forbidden tree was a delight to the eyes. This is what she says in Genesis chapter three, verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So we see even here what Eve is looking at. This is a delight to her eyes. This is something that she was focused on. You can imagine, even, and this is obviously just having some imagination of how might this have worked. You can imagine that that maybe for a couple weeks or even a couple months, she would maybe kind of walk by the tree and and look at the fruit and, and think about it, and she was constantly dwelling on it before she just went and ate it. That seems very likely to me that this would be a a long process of seduction of being drawn to this thing because it was what she was looking at. It was what she was focused on. It was what she was, um, what was pleasing to her. So that's what Jesus is asking us to consider: is what is a delight to our eyes? What is something that we like to focus on? That we like to think about? That we like to keep our minds on? He puts, he poses this strange question um, in the second verse there, where he says, "If then the light in you is darkness, how great is this darkness?" If the light in you is darkness, how can how can light be darkness? Right. Well, again, he's speaking metaphorically. He's he's saying, the eyes are the means by which we perceive the world. Um, if we're focused on things that are evil, that's like darkness. We're focusing on things that are dark, um, then that's what we're being filled with, right? Because that's what we're bringing in. We're drawing into our bodies through our eyes that darkness. If we're focused on light, then we're bringing in goodness and he says the darkness is great because it's what we're pursuing it's what fills us up it's what's coming into our brains so the question is what is your focus what are the things that you're looking at what are the things that you're focused on and this is bigger uh and and not as simple as as just are you um are you looking at things that are good or things that are bad like are you looking at things that are evil or things that are good um the, so often in in our in our Christendom in in, in Christian life, um, we like to focus on things like or the things that we that we really care about that we really want people to be concerned with are are what movies and TV do you watch? What media do you consume? What are the things that you're watching on TV? But I think that's too simplistic for us here. Um, I think Jesus cares about that. I think he cares about. What kind of things are we reading? What are the things that we're watching? What are the things that we're listening to? I think he does care about that, but that isn't quite what he's addressing here. He's focusing on what what is the total focus of your life? What is most of your life focused on? this idea of just controlling you know do I watch movies that have bad language or violence, or do I listen to music that might have some swear words in it uh, what am i what am I reading? What am I watching? what am I listening to? That matters. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Don't, don't hear that. Uh, but but just focusing on that is the pharisaical approach. That's the approach that the Pharisees would have, right? Control what we're watching rather than uh, evaluate the deeper priorities of our life. And that's what Jesus is calling us to here. He's calling us to evaluate the deeper priorities of our life. And if we can get that right, that other stuff will take care of itself, right? That should be an outcome. That should be a, a product Of of what our internal life is, of what the overall focus of our life is. Imagine imagine this scenario. I kind of have a a scenario I want you to think of. Two think of two um, workers, two people that go to work every day. Maybe they work at the same place, and they both they're both Christians. They both believe in Jesus. They both are focused on Him, uh, or they they maybe not focused on Him, but they both both would say they're believers. They've been baptized. They go to church. They're believers. Um, the first worker, he he works all the time. He, go, he works overtime. He focuses all attention on getting rich at all costs. Um, when he's at work, he doesn't think about church. He doesn't think about Jesus. He doesn't think about the kingdom. He never considers how Jesus would have him conduct business. Um, none of that. When he's at work, it's worldly. right? It's focused on making money, getting rich, getting ahead, He's maybe even, you know, ripping people off. All these kind of things. He's just focused on that. He's focused on business when he's at work, and then he goes home and and has dinner, and then after dinner he watches a Christian movie. He watches a Christian. I want to say, well, good job there. Or you are watching media that is a, that is appropriate? The second person, he does. Is he, they do their job well. They want because they want to please God. They don't want to please men. I mean, they know the scripture that says. Do your work heartily, as to the Lord, wanting to please God rather than man. And that's what they do. They they're working hard, but they're thinking about God all the time. It's influencing their day. That they're they're focused on discipleship. They're focused on how does my life reflect Jesus? How am I am I sharing the love of Jesus with the people that I encounter every day through with my fellow employees, with the my clients? How how do, how is my life reflecting Jesus? Am I on mission with God, even when I'm doing my job? And I want to do my job well. I have to focus on that. But I, I want to share the gospel with people. I want to be an example of the love of Jesus. And they pray, they're praying throughout the day. Um, they're, they're thinking about Jesus throughout the day. Maybe they start their day with some scripture and prayer. And then, and then they go home, and they have dinner, and then they watch a rated R movie. Okay. Neither is perfect, right? Person B is not perfect. But so much of our focus in in Christian discipleship is on what movie each of those guys watched. So much of our focus can be on what is that two hours at the end of the day spent on, rather than what is the whole bulk of the day actually about for them. What is the whole bulk of the day about? It, 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 neither, again, neither guy is perfect but, but consider that because so much I've heard so much over my time in, in the church about what movie people are watching at the end of the day rather than how they spend their whole day and that's what Jesus is addressing here he's saying don't let your righteousness don't let this be like a, a, a about what, the, what this small portion of your day is about what is your whole day about what is your focus what is your, what's driving your life what are your eyes set on? Not in a, what do they see at some points, but what is what is the focus of your life? He addresses it further with this last verse um, that's so powerful. We'll look at here, two masters. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can only have one top priority. That's what makes it your top priority. That's what makes it number one. If you have two number ones, that's not number one anymore. You have to have one number one. And Jesus uses this example of one master. He uses the the example of, of having a servant. You can only have one master. You can only have one boss. You can have one person that you're truly Answering to if you're not serving God, you're serving something else. Whether that's another person or whether that's uh, an idea, whether that's some kind of goal, the 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 option that Jesus gives here when he says at the end, uh, you cannot serve God and money. Many of your Bibles might say mammon, and that's uh, the reason that they leave it in in many of these uh, verses because it's more of a concept than just money. It's not just the idea of cash, it's the idea of wealth and possessions. It's that overall pursuit of these things. Um, In the broader sense, it it means it takes all that into account. Uh, And Jesus suggests this because it's the most constant um, idol throughout history. This is something that people have always been drawn to. How can they build wealth? How can they save up? How can they earn more? How can they get more things and more stuff Surround themselves with bigger homes, more possessions. Can they get more and more and more and more? That's the most constant idol. And he's saying you can't serve that and God. You have to choose one. That you can't have two masters. Now, if if that's not something that's particularly alluring to you, if that money isn't something that's been an, an idol option for you, if it's not something that you... Have have wanted to pursue in your life. You can fill in the blank with anything else, because whatever you fill in the blank with, you it's true that you cannot serve God and that thing. Whether that's approval from other people, whether that's success in general, maybe legacy, um, maybe even family and friends, right? Even good things can be in that spot, and it's true that you can't serve God and those things. You have to have one purpose. You can only have one overall purpose. That Jesus is our master, then we'll obey and serve him only. And that will impact all of your decisions. If you're if you've put Jesus on the throne of your life, if you made him number one, that will affect everything else that you do. And whatever is number one in your life, whatever is in that top spot, whatever's on the throne of your heart, that will affect all of your other decisions. This is why Paul cautions believers against serious partnership with unbelievers. He says it in this verse 2 Corinthians 6:14. He says, "Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness?" What he's saying there is don't don't be tied in. We always use this this verse um, especially in youth ministry, talk to talk about who you get married to. And that's certainly important. And I think it definitely applies. But Paul is talking in a broader sense of any kind of serious partnership where you're making decisions together, where you're going to have to decide something together. Because if you tie yourself like that to someone who doesn't believe, who for whom Jesus isn't number one, you're going to come into conflict. If you're not coming into conflict, the question is, is Jesus really number one in your life? Because it should have a major impact on all the decisions that you make. And oftentimes, it'll mean you make decisions that are not particularly rational, that aren't made to, especially in a business scenario, in a situation where you're making business decisions. Oftentimes, as a believer, you're going to make decisions that are generous, that are gracious, that are merciful, um, that don't equal good business, right? that don't equal making the most money. Um, and, and to get tied in with somebody who, for whom Jesus isn't number one, that's going to be a hard sell for them. Why would they make those decisions? Why would they do something that is purely generous, that is purely gracious or merciful? Um, and it's not that unbelievers are are especially bad people, right? We we believe that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a question about priorities, right? It's not that oh they're going to do something evil. It's just a question of what is our top priority and what's going to make those decisions. We can phrase this in many different ways, but it all comes down to the same thing, that Jesus has to be the one that we obey, the one that we follow, the one that we serve, the one that we love first and foremost. He has to be king. He has to be number one. He must be our priority or something else will. There's going to be something in that position on your life. Something on the throne of your heart. And it has to be Jesus. And he's the only thing is, he's the only one worth serving. He's the only one worth being in charge. He's the only one worth being on the throne of your heart. Anything else is going to let you down. He is the only one to whom when you give love, to whom you serve, that he gives you more in return. So if he's not currently on the throne of your heart, I would challenge you to put him there. I would challenge you to remove whatever else is on the throne of your heart and put him in its place. We'll wrap it up with this. How should we then live? Three takeaways for today. Number one, uh, evaluate what you treasure by examining how you spend your time and money. Just kind of evaluate and consider... What if someone else were to audit your life and look at how you spend your time and money to determine what your priorities are? What would they come up with? If you had somebody else come in and just kind of examine your life, and they, they kind of watched how you spent your day, maybe for a month. They kind of watched how you spend your time and they were able to go through your bank account and see how you spend your money. What would they determine were your top priorities? What would they determine mattered to you? Number two, uh, give yourself a midday prompt to check in with Jesus. Now this um, I, this is a, one of those practical ones that some people don't like when I just use these kind of mental uh, ideas of, of, of how we implement some of these things. So here's a real practical thing you can actually do. And you can do this right now. Um, if, you have, if you have a smartphone, especially, uh, Take out your, your alarms setting um, and you can set a regular alarm and, and give it sometime in, in the middle of the day that uh, that would be work for you, that wouldn't cause an interruption, um, that wouldn't cause, uh, cause you to be embarrassed by your phone going off or something like that, maybe whenever you eat lunch. And make yourself an alarm that says, pray, or it can say, check in with Jesus. Um, and, and just give that to yourself and let's try it out for a week. Every day, have that go off and, and then actually respond, actually check in with Jesus, go, okay, yeah, let me, let me pray, let me talk to him, let me consider whether my day has been filled with him or not, um, and, and and see how that goes. And so that's just, a, and if, if you don't have the phone, you don't want to do that, give yourself some other kind of prompt. Maybe you can uh, take a post-it note and write something on it and put it on the dashboard of your car. Um, and, and maybe it just says Pray. And then when you get in your car, you'll see that, and that will give you that prompt uh, to pray. Maybe something else. Maybe you put it on the fridge or something like that. There's lots of different possibilities, things you can do. But give yourself some kind of prompt to start that process of having more of your day connected to Jesus. And then third, consider what competes with Jesus for the throne of your heart. Again, do that kind of self-evaluation and think about, okay, I think Jesus is on the throne of my heart. I think most of us would say, yeah, Jesus is on the throne of my heart. That's what I want. I want that to be true. Uh, But for every one of us, even if that is true, if that's true in our minds, that's what we want to be true, um, there's always going to be something else that competes. And it's important that we know what that is. Because if we're not aware, it will easily usurp him at times. It will easily in and take over at times even though our ideal what we ideally want to be the case is that he is on the front of our heart that will come in and and take over at times so it's important that we are aware of what are the things that compete is it money right is it even family is it um approval right what what is it that competes because otherwise when you get into that situation where it matters where you have to make that decision You're not gonna be aware of the fact that that conflict is going on. It's just gonna happen internally. So consider and identify what are those things for you personally because it's different for every person. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we can come before you and and have you um, do some heart surgery. God, examine our our hearts, um, convict us. God, this is a convicting passage it's so easy for us to be distracted it's easy for our priorities to slip for you to to not be on the throne of our heart god let that be true for us we want it to be true god we we surrender to you now and ask you ask you to work in our hearts that we might keep you on the throne that we might treasure you and the things you treasure heavenly treasures rather than earthly treasures. God, show us how how material possessions, how earthly treasures are so fleeting that we might be more devoted to you day by day. Pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus.